Hello and welcome to the PHA Podcast, the most fantastic podcast in the universe. Once again, I am glad to have you here with me. My name is Stefan Gillum. I am your host. Like I said, it is the PHA Podcast, your voice in affordable housing, presented by AMA Consulting Group. I am absolutely honored to be able to bring onto the podcast with me today, Dr. Michael Three. Dr. Three, how are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Dr. Three is the COO of the Dothan Housing Authority, and that's in Alabama, right? That is correct. Dothan, Alabama. So yeah. what's life like in Dothan, Alabama right now? It's the Wiregrass area. and uh, It's the what? Wiregrass area. What is Wiregrass? It's a specific type of grass, and it has a nickname. Really? And yeah. In fact, Dothan is what's going to be the capital of Alabama at one time, so it has a nickname as Circle City. Really? So, yes, absolutely. So about 72,000 individuals there, but... It's an up-and-coming area with okay. four fastest-growing city in the state of Alabama, probably out 15 minutes from Panama City, and also probably out 45 from Destin. So it's a hot spot where okay. a lot of things are going on. I'm going to go look up Wiregrass to Wire figure out what that is. Yes. Is it like weird grass or does it just look like regular grass? It looks like some wire grass. It has that distinctive name. Another nickname has is the peanut capital of the world, too. Oh, okay. So really? George Washington Carver, all of that peanut capital of the world. They have a big peanut festival that you should come and join the zone. Okay. Yes. Now you have a reason to go to Dothan. Yeah, absolutely. To go to the peanut festival. Okay, so Dr. Three, tell me a little bit about how you got into the affordable housing industry. How did all of this come about? Ah, I wish I could say I just walked right into it, but from the perspective of uh, I'm the COO at Dalton Housing, the acting CEO, mm-hmm. um, but been in the industry about 17 years. Um, I was COO, CEO at uh, Silicaga Housing Authority for about two years. I was also the vice president of the Section 8 program at Birmingham Housing Authority, manager there, and I started out in Tampa. So time frame-wise, Dad grew up doing real estate construction, so mm-hmm. I had some exposure to that. Saw some of those companies in the World Trade Center, which he helped build, and just kind of got into. I had family that had some uh, manufacturing homes on the Section Eight program. Also, family in Cincinnati that had uh, single-family homes. So, kind of had a taste for it mm-hmm. coming along as I finished school and. I end up falling into it. So you mentioned something. You kind of breezed by it, but we're not going to breeze by that. Okay. That your dad helped to build the World Trade Center. So tell me about what a little bit about that and then how that influenced you in this arena. So good and bad. So when I was a little child, he fell about 30 feet, almost died. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. So, you know, that was one of those things. So like, it was one of those like high up kind of. High up. Oh, one of the pictures that you see. Yeah. Like oh, you, nah, like, see, like those bad they, pictures you see where they laying across. Nah. Uh, he, was a, he was a metallic lathera, so he helped with a major on the construction side. So I guess that creativity and innovation, mm-hmm. he went to school to be a civil engineer, associate's degree, um, mom was again nurse. So you, I got that balance there for them. When you think about the World Trade Center, the significance behind it of all of those tenants that was there yeah. from Bank of America, mm-hmm. all of the different lawyer firms, all that. So I got a chance to get exposed to some of those things coming into the World Trade Center, some of the business meetings right. or construction development things that were taking place. So I got exposed to that as a little boy. Okay, okay. So you said you've been in the industry for 17 years. That's not as long as some people have been in the PHA industry, but what are some of the changes that you've noticed since you started in affordable housing? Innovation, um, being more business entrepreneur, housing authorities doing more development. Compared to housing authorities being, just say it, franchises of HUD, red tape, which no one can stand, mm-hmm. I see more 
housing authorities make that transition to being not dependent on HUD, making their own money, doing development, doing property management, going out to try to become a moving to work agency, but really being innovative. We want to change the narrative. So right. the next generation of housers always say that intentional push to bring those individuals in. They run a business, mm -hmm. not necessarily, it's a quasi-government entity in the first place, but more of that corporation. So that's what I see coming along for the future of housing. So what? how does that, so for some of our PHAs and, uh, and our EDs and stuff that are reluctant to make some of those moves, how does that work? I mean, not necessarily like what are all the nuts and bolts behind it, but making that transition from being basically a branch of hood to being your own independent agency, how do you keep the mission that you guys are trying to uphold and stay on board with all of the requirements that you'll still need to have because you are still connected to it. That's a great question. When you think about it, I take it back to the old school perspective. Who moved my cheese? I said I read that. I read that at different PHA. So that's one of the things we come in. Like the cheese has moved. Mm. It's going to require a different type of product order to keep up. You have to do your seat map. You got to do your files. You have to do those things that are required. However, you should make it more like a business. Just because it's government doesn't mean you should operate like a business. It should be streamlined. You should be bringing in the technology. You should be doing the efficiency. You should remove away from the paper and save money, go invest in technology. So yes, you have to do the compliance with HUD, but you don't necessarily have to operate like HUD. It shouldn't be like you walking into the DMV. And mm -hmm. for those of us that have kids, I call it the Zootopia process. <laughs> when they go and you sit in front of the sloth flash and you're moving that slow. So that turns um, not only the staff all, <laughs> if you have stakeholders, vendors, take too long to get paid. All we talking about the issues with landlords. Mm -hmm. Like it should be operating like a business from the efficient standpoint. So keeping up with the times right. and being able to continue to transition along with that affordable housing product. So if housing authorities can take on that corporation field, either it's one thing, who moved my cheese, I said before, some leaders are not going to go for it. And I do see that they're going to be lost in, on, in the shuffle as regards to the evolution of housing authority. So we've heard a couple of people talk about thinking from an entrepreneurial standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, so when you say that, what exactly do you mean in that standpoint? Because we want to make sure that we're not losing the, the mission behind what we're doing. But I, what I hear you saying is from a business standpoint, it's more of an efficiency aspect. So when you think about that, housing authorities have to do the annual plan, five-year plan. That's HUD stuff. Not right. means that not they're going to pick that up. We and that's some other PHA, we have a business plan, mm -hmm. a three-year business plan called Purpose 2025 that we implemented in, in 2022 that's going to last three years. It has real business. It has a new mission, mm -hmm. a new vision on there. We have principles. We have values. We also have about eight different goals that we're going after, organizational culture. So that the culture has to change. That's right. the beginning. You have to train your staff and your board. You have to have the technology. You also should be, when I say entrepreneur, you should be using your nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So everyone's not CEO. So you have the president CEO. Some individuals may have those titles, but understanding how they work from a house authority, you go into CEO level because you have a couple 501c3s that right. you need to maintain. You're starting to do development now. So from that perspective, it has to change. Not just a, uh, the five-year or the annual plan. Mm -hmm. You need to have a strategic business plan to say, okay, well, this is what we're going to accomplish. Here are the goals for the agencies, because as we know, we're talking about this $80 billion capital fund right. need that is it. We're not going to see that in our lifetime. That's not being realistic. Yeah. And to the point of that the future goals towards vouchers, tax credit, entrepreneur, and entrepreneur like, well, I need to acquire this property. I need to partner with the city. I may have to go and purchase something, but mm -hmm. thinking differently and acquiring that talent helps these house doors to do, the, do those things. One more thing is that 
Housing Authority should rebrand. So we have rebranded, took the authority off. Now it's called Dothan Housing specifically. You see those things happen. Or some PHAs change their name to a totally right. because that helps change the narrative, also remove stigma and stereotype that associate with the PHA. You've mentioned a couple of times about technology, and I've learned that one thing that is big with you is instituting new technology into public housing agencies, into these these siloed systems that have been going around the same way for years and years and years. What does that technology transition look like? When you think about that, COVID-19 happened. So they gave housing authorities this money. Okay, some spent it on salary, some did things differently. From my perspective, what we did at Dalton House, we spent it on technology. We went and got Lenovo products, plug and play. Mm -hmm. Staff got Verizon cell phones so they can go home if they need to work from home. Things happen in life if we did have another COVID-19, but operations shouldn't shut down. Technology removes silos because now you're talking in the software. Hey, this and this going on with this tenant. Or we use like a software for project management called Monday. So we're talking to each other. Hey, this board resolutions do Cool. Hey, this report is due. We're talking, we're sharing information, it's coming in through emails, and we check the box, do it together. So removing silos is a big thing. That's probably number goal number one on our strategic plan for organizational development. Technology helps remove those things. So when you think about Adobe Sign, things like that, or it's the staff may be using what it may be MRI or yarding products or, or whatever it may be um, neighborly, the technologies, it increases the communication. Right. Also, too, we couldn't be, we was not able to be in front of each other, so we took in a Zoom, MS team, we're talking. It, it helps reduce. Why am I emailing my internal staff? I can send and talk to you through Teams. So that efficiency, the effectiveness, technology helps do those things. And for myself personally, I went online in 2008, complete PHA online when I was in Tampa. Even from waitlist standpoint, in April of 2022, Dalton Housing opened the waiting list. It had been five years. We took in 3,500 applications over a three-day period. That's Dalton. Mm -hmm. I told you 72,000. As of today, we have 8,000 individuals on our waiting list in Dalton, Alabama. Right. So that's based on technology because individuals can apply for our project-based voucher anytime they feel like it. So as we evolve, house doors have to evolve, and technology helps us evolve. Right, right. So you've also done a lot of work with HCB. Okay. And we watched a lot of housing authorities kind of move away from the HCB model. Like they're doing a lot more. If they're in public housing, they're kind of shying away from their HCB model. They're doing a lot of RAD conversions, a lot of PVB. What would you advise for those people who are still in the HCB race to make sure that they're getting their landlords, that they're getting their wait lists open, that they're able to get these vouchers out and increase their utilization. Take a different look at it. Think about the end user. With the Housing Choice Voucher Program, it's a three-way partnership. If all three parties win, they all win. But when one loses, it, mm -hmm. it hurts. One issue is that the housing authorities have lost these 10,000 landlords a year since 2009, and we're talking about 560,000 units. How you get these numbers? Because each landlord, you're talking about three to five tenants per landlord. If I'm making money, on this one, I'm going to oh, do yeah. it again. Absolutely. Cool. I can do a 529 with my with my property. I get to pay for my kids' college. I'm putting up money for a rainy day for retirement, et cetera. But when landlords experience these pain points, um, they remove themselves. So ACB is a challenge. So we'll give you the numbers. Prior to COVID happening, it was a four to one. I had to issue four vouchers to issue, to issue get one leased up. So I want to issue 25. So I need to issue 100 vouchers to get 25 people leased up. That number has doubled. So now I have to issue 200. Wow. So 
200. So that's a, it's an eight to one. I have to issue mm -hmm. 200 vouchers to get 25 individuals leased up. It's a challenge, yes, but it has to change. One of the things we think about from the landlord uh, liaison perspective, many times PHAs are trying to maintain the two-year two. That's, right. some, that's a good forecast, but not necessarily realistic about the external environment. Trying to keep your payment standards on, on tack. And two, you're trying to make sure you qualify with CMAP, getting the families leased up and everything else. Technology helps, having the landlord liaisons, keeping up with the payment standards. And one thing, too, with these landlord incentives that anyone could do, not just right. moving to work agencies, mm -hmm. uh, being able to put them in place, but being able to shop that right. and get those things done. Yeah, that was something that we did at AMA is we put together a landlord incentives list okay. that we ship out to PHAs to let them know these are all the incentives that you could be offering your landlords in order to get your properties leased up a little bit better. But you said a specific phrase that I want you to expand on. You said landlord liaison. I'm sure a lot of our PHAs have not heard that phrase before. What is a landlord liaison? A landlord liaison is that one contact that that landlord has who can answer questions, direct traffic, deal with some of those pain point issues that they may have, and they don't have that caseload. Many times like housing specialists or housing navigators are worried about those caseloads because they're dealing with families that may be disadvantaged or dealing with other challenges they may experience in life. Their landlord liaison is there for that landlord. Mm -hmm. They have a specific contact that they can come because the space is being realistic. It's hard sometimes to get a PHA on the phone or for the answer return the right, email. Yeah. This person specifically deals with those landlords and they feel like they have someone that has their back that's going to listen to them and solve those challenges and those problems. That's a game changer. I've been doing that since I've been in the industry about 17 years and creating that. And I would like to point out there's a housing bill out there now called the Choice and Affordable Housing Act that will provide a bonus for PHAs that have a landlord liaison. Okay. That so that's Senate Bill 32, and that's House Bill 688. It's bipartisan support that will help make the transition. And that's what we're going to need. The future is going to require. PHAs to have someone, maybe with a real estate background, property mm -hmm. management, that gets that landlord part. Right, right. So, Dr. Three, you also published a book called The Price of Bureaucracy. Tell us a little bit about why that book was necessary and why you felt the need to publish that. Oh, it's, it was the results of my research dissertation. I'm a landlord myself. Mm -hmm. I sell real estate. I'm a realtor, licensed realtor. And from the house door side, I wanted to tell the story from the landlord perspective. The book, The Price of Bureaucracy, Removing Section 8 Landlord Pain Points by Investing in Technology. It is a way to keep landlords engaged. So I took the history of housing. I also took the problems and I also provided a solution. One thing is that as I was writing my dissertation during the summer of 2020, um, I, was, I had some landlords I was consulted with. I had some property that I had myself. and I didn't get my own payment. And then I had mm -hmm. landlords and real estate investors say, hey, three, I'm out. I'm done because I'm not getting paid. Although the voucher program guaranteed rent had the money in there, they didn't get the money from PHA or the paper check didn't come mm. or whatever else it was. And then they could get anyone on the phone or whatever else. So I took it from the perspective and I took the landlords that were in the Dothan Housing Authority and I asked them specific closing question. If we invest in technology, would we retain you to be able to work with us? Right, right. And what happened was it had two um, hypotheses. One is that uh, landlords said 85% agreed that if we invested in technology and removed the pain points, everything else, it would improve communication. Another 86% said that if you invest in technology, did all these other things, got direct deposit, had portals, all that, 
you would enhance the customer service and I will stay working with you. So when I did that, one of my, my professors, the actual chair, she worked in housing. So I said, hey, when we finish, we're going to turn this into a book. Mm -hmm. And here it is. I wanted to be able to highlight the challenges. I'll talk about the Choice Affordable Housing Act, the policies, and the things that we do. And one thing is that attract, recruit, and retain. That specific model is in the book about how to rebrand, how to hire a landlord liaison, the certified renters. So what were some of the pain points that you identified? And I don't want you to tell them all because I want people to go get the book. Okay. But what were some of the pain points that you identified that landlords were having? They didn't have anyone to they communicate with. PJs didn't have a uh, landlord liaison. They did not, the payment standards were too low. Mm -hmm. No one returned it. call. The red tape, that's what bureaucracy right. is, red yeah. tape. They had the administrative burgers and red tape. You want to know my blood type, where my grandmother lives, or whatever <laughs> else, that red tape, unnecessary. Those were the pain points. Uh, two, that the housing authority sometimes was mean. Or they were more focused on the housing authority rules compared to the tenant, the inspection right. process. Yeah. They was like, you know what? I am done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've heard that from some PHAs before and from some landlords. And as they speak about how they're working with these PHAs, but the PHAs seem so much more focused on the tenant than on the landlord. They seem so much more focused on their admin plan or their policies as opposed to the landlord. And the landlord's looking back like, but without my property, this program doesn't move forward. And, and especially now they're looking at it from a standpoint of, and I could charge double what I'm charging here if I went out with a private renter, you know? And so a lot of those issues are still there. And, and you said, moving through with technology was the way that you started to solve some of those problems. The technology and identifying that there is flaws in the program. It's mm -hmm. going to get better, but we need housing policy reform. So we do need to rebrand. Um, landlords might want to talk through a Facebook page. They need to have a web page just directly for landlords. We brought in a payment standard map, the rent calculator. They have someone they can communicate with. Also, too, landlords don't want to wait on the check. Oh, I don't want to wait on inspection information. That's a big pain point. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make a business decision. And I have to wait two weeks to get this letter in the mail if I pass or fail compared to instant information. When we do an inspection, within 15 minutes or less, or oh, it's going to be right there that you're going to know if it pass or fail what you need to do. Right. That's those things that we say invest in technology to keep the relationship strong. I sell real estate. So during COVID, the real estate market got hit bad. Right. And we said, well, well how am I get this notary done or whatever? And it kept on evolving. So the PHAs, in order to keep this going with ACB, they're going to have to involve by investing in technology. What are some of the notions you mentioned earlier? You mentioned earlier as we were talking that there were some preconceived notions around the HCB program. What are some of those preconceived notions, some of those perceptions that, that we need to kind of do away with, that we need to, to evaporate around the HCB program? That's huge. Uh, so HCV, Housing Choice Voucher. That's the real name behind it, but still gonna go by Section 8. Yeah. Hey, and it's gonna go Section 8, and although it happens that, well, formerly Section 8, that's just gonna be what the name is because, but how do you change the preconceived notion? One is that there are stereotypes stigmatized about the welfare queen, the person doesn't work, they're not gonna cut the grade. If you see someone not taking care of that single family home, so that person on Section 8 automatically mm -hmm. because of those stigma and stereotypes. How do you evaporate them? By changing the narrative. PHAs have to intentionally change the narrative. One thing we have done to change that narrative is to do certified renters. So our tenants go through a four to six week training that we're gonna present here at the Father Conference where they will understand how to pay the rental time, how to mm -hmm. um, effectively communicate with the landlord. I can send a text message, I send an email, I put this in writing. They also understand the tenant landlord laws, how to budget, things like that. How do we change that? by showing that, hey, this tenant out here will take care of the property. But how do we change that too? By saying that you're gonna get those payments on time. So 
removing that is that sometimes the hound dog get a, a part of that mm -hmm. preconceived notion is that we're slow with payments, right. we're slow with inspection, we're slow with processing. So removing that by investing in technology, being efficient and effective, and being intentional about the message. So one thing we've done too is that um, we do a state of the house authority, just like you do a state of the mm -hmm. union, state of the city. We do a state of the house authority where we go to Kiwanis. I'm a part of Rotary. We'll do it in front of the Chamber of Commerce or for the city. Say, hey, these are the things we'll accomplish this year. Individuals a lot of time are, are shocked what the house authority does because right. we do have stigma stereotype. But once they hear the message and they understand that the narrative has been changed, it does change some of those preconceived notions. Right. That's how we evaporate them. Okay. So I ask everybody this question that sits in that chair. And so I'm going to ask this question to you as well. If I gave you a megaphone, right? put it in your hand, and the moment you click that button to turn it on, everybody in the affordable housing industry would instantly pay attention, be completely focused on your voice, hear everything you have to say. What do you say to the affordable housing cut, industry? Cut the red tape. That's one of the things I talk about, not only from the housing store to standpoint, even from my private company. We have to cut the red tape. Red tape, the bureaucracy not necessarily a bad thing, but it's resistant to change. Mm -hmm. The bureaucracy was created to put systems in place, but it is resistant. How do we do it? We need to cut it. If you want to keep landlords in place, you got to cut the red tape. If you want PHH to be able to evolve, you got to cut the red tape. If you want tenants to advance, you have got to cut the red tape. Some of the tenants understand like, hey, I can't get to this next level or use my voucher to do X, Y, and Z because this and this happens. So mm -hmm. even now with the new FSS program that we had to do for the new action plan, uh, it stated that you had to be welfare free but uh, for one day prior to. It's red tape compared to families aren't using welfare anymore. They're mm -hmm. not using Tana. We have to evolve. And, and when I say cut the red tape, HUD has some goals and some things they want to accomplish. But PHA is on uh, the end user saying, wait a minute, this stuff is not realistic. So if we cut the red tape, meet in the middle, we will create a different type of housing product. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Michael Three, thank you. Thank Appreciate you. you joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time around. I appreciate the time. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on the PHA podcast. You can always get old episodes of the podcast by going to amaconsultinggroup.com and clicking on that button that says PHA podcast. See you guys next time.